0: doctor's kitchen recipes health lifestyle
1: we're teaching them about validated screening tool questions so you can screen your patient in front of you for do they have enough food on the table that's a very very important question to not know or have the confidence to ask i think that's an opportunity missed for the patient the clinician doesn't actually feel able to deliver that holistic care so curry medicine really does speak to very current issues in nutrition and also has that practical aspect of cooking.
0: Welcome to the Doctor's Kitchen podcast, the show about food, lifestyle, medicine and how to improve your health today. I'm Dr. Rupi, your host. I'm a medical doctor, I study nutrition, and I'm a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle as medicine. Join me and my expert guests where we discuss the multiple determinants of what allows you to lead your best today i'm chatting with the directors of the non-profit coloring medicine uk who have been with me from the very start when i had the inspiration and aspiration to bring this method of teaching to the uk if you've never heard of coloring medicine before it's basically a method of teaching health and social care professionals nutrition science with hands-on cooking and culinary skills the americans have been doing this for many years we were really really behind here in the UK and when i put out my first social media post about collecting a group of multidisciplinary academics, dietitians, doctors who wanted to share this vision with me back in 2017 i was blown away by the response and since then we've whittled it down to really passionate individuals some of which are on the podcast today. We talk about the origins of coloring medicine, how it's changed, the evolution of this program, and how we survived the pandemic, doing a lot of pivots and moving to online. We also talk about where coloring medicine is currently taught, as well as the aspirations. I haven't hidden the fact that I really want coloring medicine to be taught in all medical schools across the country and Europe, and I also want cooking clubs and community kitchens to be affiliated with all GP surgeries across the country. Essentially, what we do is we deliver evidence-based, practical and appropriate teaching to healthcare professionals on how to adapt nutrition advice for individuals with varying conditions, which is why it's so important to really capitalize on this vision of having it associated with GPs across the country. Not all GPs have the time or the inclination or the capacity to deliver this information, which is why it's so important that we take an MDT approach, multidisciplinary approach to this, taking into account cultures, skills, resources, personal preferences. These are all things that are very, very hard to do within an eight-minute consultation, yet it is super, super important. If you've heard any podcast on this show, you will understand the value of food as medicine as well. Vince, who you're here on the podcast today is a culinary lecturer at the UK's number one hospitality school, Westminster Kingsway, which is where we have our culinary medicine kitchen. He's got 25 years of experience within the industry and is an executive committee member of Master Chefs of. Great Britain. Elaine is an experienced nutrition educator and registered dietitian who leads on the development of the Culinary Medicine UK nutrition modules. She's a PhD researcher and writer with an interest in improving access to healthy food for people facing nutrition insecurity and has a postgraduate qualifications in multiple things, including clinical education, diabetes research, critical appraisal. Her CV is massive. And Dr. Sumit Burra is a Currently, a GP, a portfolio GP, and holds diplomas in obstetrics and gynecology, sexual health, and postgraduate certificates in primary care education, as well as being a certified health coach. Remember, you can sign up to the nutritional psychiatry workshop event that we talk about with Professor Felice Jacko, who is a friend of the podcast and one of the key researchers. In this whole field of nutritional psychiatry, which is super exciting, it's all about how we can use food to prevent and stave off mental health issues, which, as many of you will be aware, is the leading cause of disability across the world. The link for the event, which is going to be on the 7th of July to the 8th of July at the Westminster Kingsway Center, which is in Victoria, London, will be in the podcast show notes as well. So definitely go check that out. And remember, you can watch this podcast on YouTube. We are going to be doing so much more stuff on YouTube, particularly when we move to my new studio with high quality cameras, amazing guests, and a cooking kitchen as well that we're going to be building from scratch. And remember, you can download the Doctor's Kitchen app for free. There are a number of different free recipes that you can try out. Android, we are definitely working on that at the moment. And we have over 500 recipes now, each with step-by-step images that you can peruse through. It makes cooking super easy. You can build collections of recipes. You can share the ingredients. And we have a ton of new features coming later on this year as well. And if you don't have uh, an Apple phone, you can sign up to the Eat, Listen, Read newsletter where we share something to eat, something to listen to, something to read, and something to watch every single week. On to the podcast. Before we get started, here is a quick word from the people who make this podcast possible. Guys, thank you so much for joining on the call today. I wanted to start off this conversation by going to each of you and asking you what coloring medicine means to you, and perhaps how that's involved actually since you first got involved. So uh, Sumi, why don't what, why don't we start off with you? What, what what did culinary medicine mean to you when you first heard about it?
1: Well, this takes us back to over five years ago now, and for me personally, it came from just a real curiosity to learn more about nutrition. Um, I was a doctor who didn't have very much nutrition training in my own medical education, and I wanted to feel more confident to be able to talk to my patients about nutrition. So when you first started to talk about colouring medicine and you put a call out looking for medics who, or health professionals who are interested, I thought, well, that sounded right up my street. It was um, a learning need for myself. And given my own passion for prevention and my background in education, I was very excited to get involved with actually helping to deliver the course itself. And just very, very happy and proud of the achievements we've made that now Our course is running in UCL, my own medical school, in other medical schools, and we are slowly really helped to change the face of medical education and how nutrition is delivered to help our patients. So that's how it began for us over five years ago, and um, we pivoted in different directions, but that's really stayed um, true to our initial mission.
0: Yeah, yeah. Alain, how about yourself? Because uh, cause you, you were really sort of um, the, the pivotal piece in, in everything right at the start of the, uh, the inception of the organisation.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I, I could really see the gaps in nutrition training from both my NHS role and a uh, role that I have teaching nutrition and medical education. So as a dietitian working in diabetes, I'd frequently see people that hadn't had any nutrition education at all moving on to insulin therapy. And I think that, that we're a bit better now, but since working in medical education, I, I still have medical students asking me, do we really still have to talk about nutrition? Because my GP's told me that we only just, we just give people the pharmacology treatment I So there's a lot of work still to be done and the the reason I, I got involved with culinary medicine specifically, so I was teaching nutrition in Brighton and Sussex Medical School but I really worried that lectures felt a bit detached from the clinical application of nutrition and we discussed nutrients but that seemed really detached from what people actually really eat. So by cooking I think that that it it helps people to really relate to some of the challenges and opportunities and and just have a better understanding of how nutrition can be translated. And it, it just inspires some deeper thinking on the subject. So talk about some of the nuances, to talk about of the the difficulties that people have just to take a a wider sort of psychosocial socioeconomic viewpoint on nutrition and and thinking about what our role is a bit more deeply and also uh, it's a lot more fun than powerpoint (laughs) Um, and I, i think the social learning theory learning through discussing with each other and discussing some of the challenges and the reasons that that people may be skeptical skeptical uh, about nutrition i think that's really really important and it, yeah i've enjoyed it. and just to echo what simi said really is it's over the last five years uh, we've made great strides in that area uh, but still lots lots be done
0: yeah chef w- what about
2: yourself
3: yeah so when i remember five years ago now when you came into the college just inquiring about uh, running this at Westminster Kingsway where, where I'm based at the time and uh, at the time I was trying to get this onto chef's curriculum because chefs don't learn about nutrition either so when you came in the timing couldn't have been better because I was like brilliant this is fantastic we'll be able to finally uh, maybe work together and get something that's tangible for chefs as well which is something that we are you know working on in the background but yeah it was a uh, really exciting and just to get that opportunity to because I bring something different, I suppose, to the team, I guess, in that sense, and just looking at the practical elements of cooking the simple dishes. And like yourself, you get some, you make, you've You got some fantastic recipes. You're doing great stuff as well, Rupi, obviously. But And then just taking stuff and making it, trying to stick within the five pillars is what we've developed, really. It's just some very simple, uh, tangible resources that people can use and really talk to their patients about. And it's been a lot of fun and a really interesting, really interesting, actually, because I've, learned so much about the medical world as well. And, um, you know, meeting all these doctors and, and dietitians and, uh, really opened up a, a amazing network for myself as well, actually. So it's been great. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember when I first came across coloring medicine myself and I just thought the collection of having all these different practitioners in a room, all these different disciplines that are all involved in nutrition. And I think, a lot of the times we do forget about the culinary element uh, or the practical element Um, and what they were doing over in the States and, and some other countries now was just so powerful. And when I went to see it myself, I just thought to myself, we have to try and do this in the UK and put it into medical schools and meeting all you guys, you know, for over the last five years and working with you to evolve the course, evolve exactly what calorie medicine means. I think it's just been like one of the best privileges. Um, When you started with calorie medicine, I guess everyone's had the inkling of what it meant to them. How do you think that's evolved since we actually sat around that room? I think it was in Westminster Kingsway, which if the listeners don't know is one of the finest catering colleges uh, in the UK and globally recognized um perhaps uh, elaine we'll start off with you what what, when you first came across it and we all sat around that table how do you think it's evolved since um those early discussions
2: i think that that we started off just by by thinking about medical students and actually with doctors was the first um, group that we worked with and it's just become apparent that really it 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 doesn't belong to any one profession so i think this Some interesting discussions at the beginning of shouldn't a dietitian be doing this or shouldn't a nutrition professional be doing this and why a doctor and i think the conversation has really moved on from that and i think actually people do accept that we all have a role but also we we uh, would like to involve more nurses pharmacists and we have involved more pharmacists uh, and psychology professionals so finding a sort of common ground baseline where everybody can input uh, because it's the magnitude of nutritional problems within healthcare is so great that it really needs to be a thread that, that's consistent uh, amongst all all clinical practice so i think that's something that's changed um i didn't realize the role that chefs had uh, you know the, the huge potential that chefs have it, it, i feel really ignorant now but i think that that really in terms of um, how, how food changes and evolves and, and the culture around food, I think that chefs have such a massive role to play and it's kind of cool to work with health professionals and culinary professionals and work with industry and just to, to, to widen the uh, picture of, of what's possible. Uh, so I think that, that we we started off just thinking about doctors, but that's widened to lots of different groups, lots of different professionals. Even we've had patients come and be involved with our our project. So, uh, yeah, the sky's the limit.
0: Yeah, absolutely, uh, Vinny. That that's a a really good sort of segue to you. I, I guess you know when I think about a chef, uh, maybe not now, maybe before. I think about how somebody runs uh, a catering organization a restaurant how someone injects flavor how gives uh, how somebody gives their uh, their their patron a, a pleasant experience uh, at any cost right I don't really think many people would assume chefs have that interest in health promotion or giving health that's obviously changed a lot of the last couple of years what what has the response been from perhaps your community or your um uh your, your own profession
3: well i always say that you know making food taste fantastic is quite easy when you're using high f- fat salt sugar cream and all those lovely beautiful things that you <laughs> make everything taste so nice um, but actually making t- good food healthy and to taste nice is is quite a skill actually and does take a bit more um learning and i can see a lot of the young chefs coming through the college actually are are now approaching approaching me and asking what is culinary medicine and what can we do with this and um very interested a big big interest in in taking that forward which is yeah, something we're working on. But um yeah I just I think that again there's no nutritional training on the curriculum. Um something that we're still working hard to 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 um, address, addressing it in small steps. Um and I believe that that is something that they really do. There is an appetite. I mean at the end of the day it's gonna get it's gonna be driven by consumers um you know so i mean it's like i have many discussions like this for example if you're doing um, a menu for 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 a big function and everyone's saying oh what's the vegan what's the vegan and we will prepare a load of vegan stuff but actually how many will actually sell is actually a bit of a strange reflection when you hear how many vegans there actually is and percentages and things like that so it can be quite interesting to what people are you know, talking about whether they're actually going to put it into action. So I think from consumer demand will really drive the, the education plan for all of that moving forward. But it's definitely um, a lot of interest in chefs now upskilling and learning a bit more about nutrition and also other things, you know, I mean, that, there's a, you know, sustainability, food waste, all of that sort of stuff. It's is just very, um, I think there's a big um, appetite to bring all that together really into a program.
1: We're also saying about the importance of policy because it's there is consumer-driven, but there's also the policy from the top, and what's actually been driven from the top about what is going to be on people's plates, and that also has such an impact. So I think we obviously we do recognise that coly medicine there are so many different players in this, and we are an important piece of that puzzle. But this whole world of coly medicine has opened up the importance of collaborating with the policymakers with industry with hospitality with health professionals because it's not just one organizational sector and that's been a massive eye-opener for for me personally i think for all of us learning about your work you know dietetics hospitality
3: it's a point i always make is like because sustainability is very big on the agenda obviously um i found from we do a lot of work with sustainability do little bits and pieces touch on it in curriculum um Obviously, it's getting a bit more prominent now. But you know, if we all eat to a to a healthy plate, for example, it is going to have a has a knock on effect. a, a positive knock on effect to sustainability as well. So yeah, there's a lot of um, things coming together. You know,
2: I mean, like just Natasha's law, having having to have more information about allergens, food allergens on menus, the the calories. that was a bit controversial that went onto menus. And yet, as you say, Vinny, I think that with um, the sustainability agenda, I think that that will come down eventually to talk more, to legislate more on on what goes onto menus and and how we label things. So uh, I suppose we're ahead of the curve there and thinking thinking that through. And also, um, it's not just about healthy eating. So if you've got diabetes or irritable bowel syndrome or you have celiac disease. It's really important that you know what's in the food that you eat. Um, also, with with the role that chefs can have in product development, it's not just about what's in restaurants, but how do we reformulate foods that are in the supermarket as well. So, I, I guess that that's a little bit further than than uh, we we had originally planned to think about yeah, colony medicine and we started with health professionals but I think it's all relevant and,
1: and speaking to the on the consumer angle so Rupi is part of really just making sure that health professionals know about our mission we certainly didn't see five years ago um, our team hosting events such big educational events for health professionals but that's a really wonderful avenue that we now have especially now the pandemic is you know finishing off people are really keen to meet mingle and there's no sort of greater way to connect than over delicious healthy nutritious food Um, and we're seeing ourselves being really leading the way with changing the type of menu that you will see at like events so I think traditionally any particularly medics listening if you go to Sort of educational meetings, usually you might find like, you know, your usual sandwich lunch, crisps, and you know, just the usual processed foods and you just teen biscuits. Um, and um, so it's been really exciting that you know, we're now hosting events with other organizations, specifically making sure that our menu really reflects our values and creating a healthy, nutritious, and you know, really delicious plates with the added value of having curry medicine and our experts discussing the ingredients like why is this a gut healthy menu why you know what yeah. would you learn at the same time so food is a That's brilliant been, talking point and yeah. we've been doing
3: that actually at the college which has been really helpful yeah. for the students so we can brief them explain why we're doing what we're doing i give them all a the little bit of spiel about each dish and why why we're going to why we're creating it in that way and it's creating a lot of excitement actually from the chef students yeah.
2: Yeah, it, it's it's really funny because working in medical education um, is very knowledge based. A lot of the competencies are knowledge based, and that's probably moved on a lot more since the uh, and Simmy you were at medical school. Uh, but I think that a lot of the conversation around nutrition, it's about filling students' heads with facts about um, nutrition, but actually. What we really want to do is change people's diets and change people's access to healthy food and, and give people more opportunities to eat appropriate healthy nutrition. So. I think that that, that's where we're headed.
0: Yeah, definitely. This is certainly one of the bugbears that I have with uh, how nutrition is currently taught, if at all, in medical schools. And sorry to focus just on medical schools for a second again, but, you know, it is very parrot learning. It's very fact-based. It's not practical. And as soon as you assume the role of a practitioner, particularly a general practitioner in in the UK, you know you're tasked with motivating that person in front of you you're tasked with behavior change you're tasked with trying to make nutrition practical and it's hard it is really hard to do and we're not equipped to do so and that's where i think culinary medicine really does fill a need uh and and a massive gap in our education And, and so the practical elements of of cooking a lot of I was going to ask you, Simi, you've probably heard a lot of skepticism from other medics about, okay, well, what? why is it important for a, a medical student or a, a pharmacist or, you know, an undergraduate in an allied health professional uh, role to learn how to chop an onion uh, and, you know, combine it with flavors or whatever? Like, what 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 are sort of the responses that you have uh, to, to to that sort of a pessimism around colouring medicine and and perhaps maybe the the tide has shifted in the last couple of years in particular uh, uh you know toward a, a more appreciative note around the need for this kind of education
1: yeah that's a it's, a it's a really poignant question actually and i think you're quite right i think i think the skepticism has changed somewhat uh i think maybe when we first started there was a lot of question marks misunderstanding are you saying that the doctors are going to teach their patients how to cook are you, you know, that's not practical what are you trying to do so I did spend more time I think before explaining you no know, we're not suggesting that a doctor is gonna go around and start cooking with the patient absolutely not but I think just in the first instance is the doctor even confident or equipped to even bring nutrition into the consultation does the doctor even have it on their radar and the the resounding answer was well, even if they were interested, they weren't even sure how to. So I, you know, it's explaining that culinary medicine isn't, you know, just teaching your patients to cook. It's actually elevating the conversation around food into the consultation, having that confidence. Um, if you just come and watch one of the UCL medical student sessions where they're covering food insecurity, we're teaching them about validated screening tool questions, so you can screen your patient in front of you for. Do they have enough food on the table? That's a very, very important question. To not know or have the confidence to ask, I think that's an opportunity missed for the patient. Um, the, the the clinician doesn't actually feel able to deliver that holistic care. So culinary medicine really does speak to very current issues Um in nutrition and also has that practical aspect of cooking, and I think I think maybe even once you said this, it's what I would say: dissection is to anatomy, culinary medicine is to nutrition. You're getting students and practitioners in the kitchen handling food, and I would consider, and it has been the feedback, it's a value add. Not only are clinicians learning how to help their patients, they're actually learning how to take better care of themselves, and um, it's an energizing format and way to learn and. And who says CPD can't be fun? Why can't you be gaining a skill, enjoying yourself in the kitchen, networking, talking about cases? Uh, I think it's brilliant. And the feedback really does support um, what we're trying to achieve with chronic medicine. So.
2: So I was involved with some research looking at opinions of medical students and doctors in the UK. And in our own research, there's a paper that we published called Time for Nutrition, And we found that 90% of people participating in that study uh, believed that nutrition was central and key part of medical practice. But when we asked that same group, "Okay, how confident do you feel in delivering nutrition education? Only a quarter felt confident. And only a quarter talks about nutrition once a month. So what we say and what people think is important there's a real mismatch in what's actually happening in practice. And, and that I think that it's all very well learning about nutrition, but how to apply it and how that's going to be heard and put into practice with our patients is another um, aspect altogether. And just leading on from what what Sumi said, um, we, we have had a lot of feedback now from students, so we've been collecting data from our, both our medical students who are attending training and uh, from doctors. And I have a couple of choice quotes just to explain from a student's point of view what that means. So this is good. So, Quote away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks, Ruthie. Yeah. Choosing allowed me to, re- I have got um, permission to do this, by the way, It allowed me to realise the difficulties that a patient may face. Also, what may be easier when a patient has difficulties with certain aspects, for example, blending or cutting, or allows um, students to think about their own diet, but put themselves in the position of the patient. And I think that skill of empathy in how um, Nutrition is not not the It's not it's not a level playing field, unfortunately. People have different challenges, and acknowledging that and thinking about how you might uh, cope with that in a skillful way by learning some basic motivational interviewing techniques, which we do in our courses, helps people to feel more confident to discuss nutrition in a appropriate and realistic way. And just to
1: add on to what Elaine said about what the medical student feedback has been, so. As as you're well aware, so the the course for the medical students was running. We were, you know, that was doing really well, and then the pandemic came along, and that's when we segued into um, creating this online course for qualified health professionals to fill that gap in training. We had lots of people saying, "Oh, you know, I'd love to do culinary medicine. Is there an online course available?" So uh, that set off a whole, you know, different project for us. Which uh, I have to say, I'm super proud that we carried that off during a pandemic while. We were all in full time jobs, and we kept it going because we knew how important it was to have that resource out there. And the feedback from our online course subscribers has been in line with what the medical students say. And I'm sure you know Elaine's got other quotes from there saying actually, before and after completing our modules, they are feeling more confident with discussing the topics. And we've got 14 modules on there. So spoiler, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's been that's been you know, it's really affirms that we're we're doing something important and isn't really being delivered in other effective ways.
3: you know what was really inspiring to me just a few weeks ago was like one of the GP trainers that comes from UCL was saying, how, gave me three different examples of how she had actually applied what she had been teaching alongside the dietitian and how useful she found all the resources. And she was doing this um, I think she was working even in the UK and somewhere else that she was working outside of the UK as well. So that was really, really interesting to see it. To hear that feedback.
0: Did they have any specific takeaways themselves? Obviously, we won't disclose who it was or, or anything. But like, w- w- were there things that they uh, practical examples of things that they were actually going to put into practice? Yeah, to
3: having the having the conversation within the time frame was definitely one of them, um, and being able to give actual resources and and explain to them how they could actually. Um, cook simple dishes and simple stuff and she actually had used some of the recipes as well that we had given out so that was quite cool yeah
2: we do now specifically ask all participants how they plan to use the training that they've had in colony medicine with patients so so we've got um a bank of examples of how people are taking this back to their clinical practice so um so, so so one simple one is just words and nuance to use nutrition in conversation without sounding activist. So I think sometimes like we really want to do the best we can for our patients, but it can end up a bit lecturing. So the skills not to to do that. Um, Also uh, advising patients from a disease specific viewpoint, especially cardiovascular disease and cancer, um, and how to open conversations about sensitive subjects like weight especially with people that have mental health conditions so uh, these are all things that people have fed back to us that they have changed their practice um, from attending one of our courses or online modules.
0: Yeah I I think honestly in the spirit of uh, openness if I think back to my initial consultations as a young general practitioner almost 10 years ago now Uh, I probably would have had a lot of judgmental language and lectury language unbeknownst to me inserted into that clinical consultation, Um, you know, completely unknowingly just because I hadn't had that sort of training or the, you know, I was regurgitating stuff that I was teaching myself through my own sort of deep dives into nutrition Uh, But the delivery of that, you know, isn't as um, exchangeable as it is, you know, when you're giving uh, other sorts of advice around other sort of lifestyle changes or medication regimes or whatever it might be. Um, So just having those takeaways, I think, for GPs is uh, uh, particularly useful, any uh, allied health professional. And I think the other thing is just from doing the course and being, um, you know, one of the coordinators on the early courses. I was exposed to how uh, prevalent those sort of nutrition uh, misnomers or, or the, the sort of misinformation that the general public is exposed to is also quite prevalent amongst practicing medics. Um, and, you know, trying to disentangle where they got the information from, what led to that sort of belief, I, I, I was pretty eye-opening for me. Um, because everyone, I think, believe has strong beliefs about um, nutrition themselves that are the product of a lot of the experiences, a lot of the headlines, that their own personal journeys, you know, that led to uh, to, to sort of give advice from that sort of authoritative position. I wonder, Elaine, if that's something that you might have come across yourself in uh, in in some of the uh
2: hundred percent, yeah. <laughs> A hundred percent. And, and you know, the interesting thing about some of the uh, we teach nutrition in, in two different medical schools for UCL medical Schools, it's, it's actually delivered to the whole cohort. So everybody who goes to UCL medical school has one day session with us in the kitchen learning about colony medicine. So we're not preaching to the converted. These are not people that have said, OK, I want to do colony medicine today. These are people who come with, you know, quite a lot of scepticism, and many biases as well. So it's really important to to have that honest discussion around people's different biases and viewpoints on nutrition, because uh, you know we have we have to be reduce our bias when, we, when we're thinking about patients. Our most popular module now, which I'm really proud of because it's a, it's something that's really close to my heart, is our module on food insecurity. And also it's, it's so relevant, isn't it, at this time when we're facing a cost of living crisis. But, uh, you know, it's not as simple as just getting a textbook and saying, here's what I've learned about nutrition or this is what I've applied to myself and so I'll just share my diet and then somebody can follow that like it really takes a lot of skill and unpicking um in order to really relate to patients or, or, or to find something that's very tangible that people can address
1: and just to add to what elaine was saying we have we especially myself working in general practice the way things are at the moment we don't want to overburden health practitioners we don't want to add another thing to their list. I know GPs, they'll have quaff, they'll have medication reviews, they'll have a patient coming in with three things. And that was something that I was really keen to avoid with our course, making it complicated. We actually want to demystify the various, you know, the sea of misinformation out there. So to that end, the culinary medicine course and the course writers are experts. They've done the hard work, they've presented the, the presentations and lessons in a easy to understand format. And the value add, particularly with the online course, is that the resources have been vetted. We've looked at the best resources that you can then share with your patient so that it doesn't have to be a a difficulty. It's something that you're like, right, I I know what to help my patient with. I know where to signpost them. The very fact that clinicians are now actually bringing food or you know, just even trying to help somebody who's facing food insecurity, as far as we're concerned, that's a massive gain and we're doing the right thing. Um, even if, say, another 100 practitioners are speaking about food insecurity with their patients who need it, that's helping a whole community. So I think making it easy for practitioners to access that information and have those resources has been really key and um, an area that we're keen to keep developing our bank of resources. So to make it easy for practitioners to do that,
0: and uh, just playing devil's advocate here, Simi, you know, f- for the number of um, medics who are interested in the subject, there's going to be the ma- majority, I would say, who are perhaps less interested in it, in it today, just as a product of not being taught about the importance of it at medical school. And then that leads to a lot of dissatisfaction amongst a lot of patient groups, right? So you've got some patients who are like, well, my, my doctor didn't tell me anything about this. No nurse, no doctor, no one has talked to me about diet and they're just trying to push pills on me. And the reverse probably as well of a patient who wants a pharmaceutical or a sort of quote unquote harder intervention than the softer lifestyle stuff that they're being promoted uh, by their practitioner. How, how do you reconcile with those seemingly opposite uh, camps? And I'm, I'm sure you've probably come across this in, in your own practice as a, as a partner.
1: Yeah, so I think it's about raising raising awareness. So, you know, I'm a very traditional medic in the way that I've been trained. I've done, you know, my diplomas and all the very traditional topics. Nutrition came out, like you said, a genuine curiosity and interest. I've always been passionate about prevention a lot of the work we do in NHS, it's a lot of firefighting simply because we are time-strapped. Having said that, um, as Elaine said, we are having medical students on our course who didn't sign up for colour medicine. They are It's a compulsory part of their training. And even then, the feedback still supports that it's positive for them. They're learning. They're coming across things that they hadn't even thought about. Um, so I believe it is about raising awareness. And in terms of really facing the skeptics you can't again again force feed um this to people but i think having the events that we're doing lots of different people come who are not that interested but oh, okay i'm interested i'll, I'll just see what's what, what it's about even if i'm skeptical and then actually when they actually speak to us or they hear from other people who've done it and what it's about even they are interested i was having a conversation at sort of the london wide medical committee which is an annual conference of general practitioners and i met quite a few other GPs who have a portfolio career, um, working frontline GP, but also interested in different areas, and they were quite interested in what, what we're doing, but they hadn't they not heard about culinary medicine. So it was quite interesting to hear their feedback. It's like, oh, actually, I would I would have been quite interested. Again, it, it's a it's a time factor. So I, I strongly feel that if the sea of change is towards prevention, training health professionals will be at the should be at the heart of that and making this compulsory instead of you know forward thinking medical schools incorporating it is something that you know the higher you know health education england and hs england will advocate for this to be more widely available and perhaps part, permanent part of the medical curriculum which is what we had been aiming for from the start so it's taken a, it's taking time to get there but there is that shift and I think more and more practitioners are interested, um, seeing how it can affect their their patients, their population. It's really, really key that we address these factors.
2: We we do we do have some evidence that things are changing. So we always ask medical students if they've witnessed any discussions on nutrition from the the doctors that they spend time with or health professionals they spend time with and when we started this it was a definite no 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 never never heard anybody talk about food or nutrition never ever and that has really changed it's really noticeable uh that, that they could give a lot more examples of where they're seeing this being applied in practice um And also, uh, we've had reports from doctors that are working in clinical practice that have had medical students attend our training and then go back out and speak to the doctors that they're working with. Oh, hey, like, you know, just on this course, it was really interesting. Do you include nutrition in your consultations? And I've got this tool that I use, which is a five minute conversation on nutrition um, so uh, slowly, slowly the word is getting out, and, and it, 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 we're, we're not unique in this. This is, this is just following a well-established evidence base of the role of nutrition in life in chronic disease management and prevention.
0: One of the things that I think we mentioned earlier is this um, uh, focus on food insecurity. It's great to know that the that that particular course is so well received and i think part of the issue um is y- y- yeah that there is the the inability of accessing certain foods but i think it's also that culinary confidence piece and this is where i think chef uh Vinny and, and your your colleagues are so pivotal because it's around finding the use cases for the perhaps cheaper more accessible food and actually still creating something that's delicious and good for you as well i, I wonder if you could give us some of your thoughts on how you know you've created those budget meals as well as being sensitive to the the cultural variation and the patients that we have uh, across urban environments but also across the country yeah so
3: i mean first thing is we look at accessible ingredients so you know we start talking about tint we talk a lot about tint and frozen product and that and we we have a lot of discussions on that and we kind of show the medical students you know how how cheap you could actually can make a meal and how you could use up different parts of everything as well and just trying to give them a because what you want to do is give people the confidence to be able to go to their fridge look at what's there and produce a meal for their family perhaps out of that
0: Exactly. You know, yeah, you know, yeah.
3: Tips and tricks to try and make that happen. So whether that's just I don't know, say you have some sweet sweet potato mash left over from something, or potato mash in general as well, that like you could um, use that up in uh, make little potato cakes and stuff. And make that part of the next day's meal, or you could use up a puree, make a puree of some leftover vegetables there, and then just put that into a, a simple white sauce and just make your pasta bake that way. Um, so you're just adding in as much vegetable and fibre into everything that you make, and then the whole brown pasta and brown rice. But you now culturally, that can be trying to make that cultural switch for people f- to brown rice from white rice can be it's quite a it's quite a job actually. Um, but when you do it and show them uh, <laughs> how to taste them, um, we are we are you know we are trying to make little trying to make little interventions all the time. My like day job as a, I work with a lot of different. Uh, communities a lot of different cultures and i uh, often have little discussions with them about that sort of thing and and um, how open would you be, to, be to put more vegetables into them rice dishes and things like that you know so yeah and it's uh, we so we've had a lot of discussions with different cultural kind of me and elaine were talking about this not so long ago actually and cultural connections through food um and just seeing what we could do there because we've had a few discussions with different food banks and things about how we could actually make better recipes and easier recipes around different cultures and made not by me but alongside some people from them backgrounds to be able to uh, I'm learning a lot doing that and so we're
2: we're looking at it's not just the food and the nutrition it's about um human connection and you it's very difficult to be getting your food from a food bank. But uh, so so we've been considering how we can work with community kitchens and and getting people just into a social space where cooking is a central point for discussion. Um, There's been some research into this, looking at people with long-term health conditions that are accessing food banks for support. And this research itself, a Professor Flora Douglas, uh, and they asked these these patients what is the most important thing that your health professional can do for you at the moment in your in your current situation where you're you're struggling to afford food and the most important thing that they, they mentioned was that they listen and you know that that kind of blew me away actually is actually what, what they wanted is what for health professionals to to know what they're facing to not feel judged and not to have to hide the situation that they're in um, and also, um, because they weren't able to eat, they were missing medication. So, we prescribed medication and say, have this with food. Um, and, and so many people just weren't able to take the tablets or didn't know how to do this because they couldn't access the food that they normally ate. Um, yeah, so there was a, there was a, you know, so health professionals can, you can fear m- mentioning poverty. And think that you have nothing to offer but even just th- that kind ear just just being better informed and um, being able to signpost to practical support was what what people really wanted
0: yeah it's it's really interesting that I think as I've developed clinical maturity and I've got a long way to go I think over the next couple of decades of, of practice but I've become a little bit mi- more uh, confident in just the simple act of listening as a therapeutic tool. And, and you know, I, I mean, a silly example, uh, even at home, sometimes when I offload to my partner, I don't want a solution. I just want her to listen. I, just, I don't need any answers. I don't need any sort of like, you know, five point plans. I just need to be listened to. Um, and it, it's, it's a very similar scenario, not all the time with, with every single patient. Sometimes, you know, we, we definitely need to find a solution, but in in a lot of cases, it can be that uh, actually just a simple act of listening. It's so, so important, particularly when it comes to people who are really motivated and have really tried to to do a lot of things. They need to be heard. They need to be seen that they've they've put all those uh, different things uh, in, in practice. Sorry, Vinny, you were saying something. A
3: lot of pressure on medical professionals to listen to people as well, though I will say, and they do need to listen to each other too a little bit. I think that needs to be said too. And I do notice when we when we when we're doing the cooking in the sessions, all the medical students are together and it's very therapeutic, I suppose, making cooking food, making salads, doing stuff like that, and just working with your hands. And they do chill out, and they do relax, and they do actually network quite well, and talk to each other, and, and, and listen to each other as well. You know, there's so mm-hmm. much, um, so much that can be learned through food in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and 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 if you talk about examples, I mean, you know, talking about cultures and trying to get them to change, kids, I've got three kids, and um, and like when you're preparing food for them, they're like, and trying to get them to eat brown rice and brown pasta. I mean, it's great at the beginning because you can. You know, you start off when they're young, and you give them all the brown rice, brown pasta. Then they go to a friend's <laughs> house. They come home, and they're like,
2: "Oh, Daddy, that is wonderful! Why?" perfectly <laughs> tidy <laughs>
3: <laughs> lots of other challenges in life well. Yeah,
2: it's, it's group consultations I think that's why group consultations work so well is because people can speak openly, be heard and hear other people's experiences there's a whole body of work looking at this social learning theory um, which you don't get as an individual one person in a lecture yeah
1: and I think really what what we really speak about, again, just emphasising about multi-professional learning. And again, we the NHS is under a lot of pressure. Consultations are complicated. I guess really it's just making sure that food is not forgotten as part of that. And if you don't have time, knowing where to refer your patients so they can get more support while they're still seeing you about maybe particular other issues. It may not seem directly re- related, but it's going to really support their health. And I know in general practice, having social prescribers um, linked to practices has been quite a game changer for us, um, being able to say, right, I want to direct you to so-and-so, they'll talk to you more. And then again, educating the social prescribers about what's happening in the community. I, I work in Greenwich, there's um, GDCA, fant- they run fantastic cookery clubs for, for patients, um, so people can get together and learn the skill. And our social prescribers can then follow on, see how the patient's getting on. So, there's a lot of scope for more joined up care and working together. And then as Elaine says, with group consultations or virtual group consultations, just opening up that conversation and allowing patients to see, you know, common ground and how they can help each other with that as well. So really it's, more community.
3: And there's so yeah, there's so many great things going on out there. There really is. We've seen obviously a lot more um, come together and, and some have really sustained themselves and they're still running some really interesting projects around and they're uh, that's kind of blowing me away through my, again, back to my day job or what I'm doing. And when I'm doing all my outreach things to the community, there's stuff that's going on. It's really fantastic to yeah. see. And I'm sure it's just no one ever knows it's happening, yeah, it's isn't not, it? That community yeah. kind of communication.
1: I think that's it, and I think it's really about raising awareness of what is happening, and there is there is actually a lot happening. It's just getting that information out there. We've taken a small step, as I said, with our course to put resources, but discussion they're national, board, so. and we've got a discussion board, and it's been really brilliant seeing the comments from users of our course saying, oh, in my area we have this. They're like, oh, that sounds really good, and it just piques people's interest, and I think it holds people to then say, so actually, what's happening in my area? I think in an ideal world, we'd have regional um, organizations we'd know about them we'd be able to pull them into some sort of a directory and i think over time we will build our resources and organization bank um but it's, it is really inspiring to learn what is happening in the community and personally as a practitioner culinary medicine has opened up a whole new new world for me in that in that sense um as an add-on to help with my patients
2: yeah sorry yeah it's a really simple model that we use in our training is ask advise assist so ask ask somebody a little bit about how, how's nutrition um change how's nutrition because your, your food intake change since you've had the diagnosis of diabetes or whatever that is how might you use food um at home to manage your conditions you get a little bit of a feel of what people are doing at the moment the advice part might be you know a discussion about what you might do but the assist art is really crucial and that's where you signpost people to what's available already in the local area so it's not just our role what we can achieve in education within a small consultation it's about how we connect the dots to wider support that's available and i think that's really really crucial
0: yeah that, that's one of the things i think along my own journey um since uh uh, we started coloring medicine is actually finding out about other organizations that are working either at a national level or a local level um, in the food space and it's almost like there's a silly parallel within technology right now you can build a product let's say it's five years old and it's grown to such a size that there's all these little bits that are sort of like okay but they could be optimized but no one's really focusing on those little things because there's loads of more important things outside of that sort of core product and you need almost someone to go in and be the chief automator to look at all those little things that could be done better and automate them away and it's sort of like that's the role of a social prescriber in the context of a of a general practice setting. Someone to go in and be like, you know what? There is a local cookery school here, here, here. They're accepting people. This would be a great sort of initiative, or there are food banks here, or there's this initiative here. You know, the government has just started. And as a single practitioner, whether you're you know the nurse in that or the administrator or the the, the uh, medical practitioner, you're not going to be have to, you're not going to have the time to know about all these amazing initiatives because you're you know doing your cough points or you're finding out about the latest therapy for toe and, and, and nail fungal infections. you know it's just all these different things that people don't really appreciate. And I think having someone whose sole role is to look at what existing solutions there are. And join the dots I think is really important and so to just to echo on your point Elaine I think that's a that's a really important feature of what we do at Culinary Med it's not to um, educate everyone from zero to 100 is actually to get them to a point and actually point to where they should be you know sending their patients or, or other organizations that are doing great stuff.
2: Social prescribers have such a huge role it's a really skilled job um but there's not currently any structure for formal education or formal promotion, or so i I think we we all talk about how much we love social prescribers, and i I hope the social prescribers listen to this because they do such a fantastic job. but I think we really need to honour that and and help them to to progress their careers. In a way that would be similar to other NHS staff.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and when you think about colouring medicine, of like, Sumi, you were talking about the journey that we've been on thus far. You know, it started off in—I I can't remember where it was—like a little coffee store. Mm-hmm. And then like, I used to invite people around to my house and basically bribe yeah. you with food and cook for you because <laughs> we didn't have any funding. No, we did didn't well. have anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it was just it's like just- loads of... <laughs> everyone was working out of hours, which... We've
1: been, we haven't been in <laughs> a long time. I think it's time we started up again every,
0: every I know, it's been a while. <laughs> well, you got Chef Vinny now. so He's taken over that role. <laughs> um, but, you know, and, and it's still like... a a ragtail sort of rickety organization that we just kind of kind of piece together and keep going because you know everyone's got this shared vision and passion but like what are the the key milestones to me that you could sort of summarize for the listener who's not come across coloring med before what we've done in the uk at least and, uh, and maybe we can go on to like you know what we're doing imminently, and then perhaps what the future of CM looks like.
1: Yeah. So, so our very first um, in-person calorie medicine training was in February 2018. We'd got together a few months before this this small team of passionate individuals from different areas, from dietetics, medicine, psychology, research, who re really board with this concept of calorie medicine somehow. You know, we got this amazing college involved, Westminster Kingsway, you know, UK's number one hospitality school. So I think that was a real, really, really lucky piece of this puzzle. And I think if we didn't have an institution like Westminster Kingsway, I'm not, I just don't think we, we could have carried on as we did. So we were very fortunate to have those contacts and supporters behind us here. And um, that pilot went incredibly well. And from there on, we've been able to develop the curriculum. Um, embedded within medical schools as Elaine says we've got Bristol and UCL who are still running to this day and then in between um, let's not forget for two to three years we've been in a global health pandemic and um, it's credit to the team that that didn't that didn't stop us actually which I find remarkable um, and we're very fortunate that we get you know support and, and, and grants to create this online course as well so it's over 21 hours of CPD learning again to fill that gap in training for qualified health professionals and at this stage we were really championing multi-professional learning inclusive learning so um, ideally suited to a busy clinician a GP also suited to other health practitioners and social prescribers may wish to read about it and learn on our course and being able to create culinary medicine in an online format was quite crucial i think to to sort of stay relevant because it wasn't possible to run courses in the kitchen and um and credit to the team for being able to pivot because during the pandemic almost overnight we went from having medical students coming into the kitchen mm. to suddenly going online and actually so probably, Vin, Vin, probably yeah. the best person to explain because it was really just kind of putting things together and yeah. i remember you saying about um what you did
3: yeah we had to uh i mean didn't have a chance to go get any fancy cameras or anything either so there's all sorts of balancing going on my ipad um, and we're trying to just do and cook along the kitchen and stuff Um, and then we had luckily had made started making some videos as well so we're able to share some of the videos and then just discuss you know any barriers you may come across with the patients and things like that from a practical food point of view that was kind of the best that we could do but what did happen was a lot of people actually Um, we'd we'd then send them the recipes and they were making the stuff at home and they were taking pictures and putting them up on social media and tagging us and stuff so it was quite cool
2: it was so funny that the last last social event I went to before lockdown was the opening of our community, our kitchen our teaching kitchen which is at Westminster Kingsway. (laughs) so it's like yay we're open, no we're closed (laughs) and then the next Me and Billy were teaching the next week online, and he yeah. sent me a picture of his setup with his camera, which was his iPad just stellar <laughs> to the side of a crate. It was really high tech. <laughs> 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 you know, like learning, learning on our feet. And we did it, and we had good feedback, didn't we, from even from our online sessions. I think everybody in their own home really appreciated. Um, the conversations that we were having, and it, we had a bit of fun online as well. yeah.
1: And then from there on, as I said, I, I can't I think I've lost count of how many meetings we all had over Zoom to get this <laughs> course together. We had cal- I, I've lost count. We had countless meetings on Zoom, project managing, you know communicating with our amazing team of authors we've got the leading experts who've been so you know passionate and helpful to us about their different areas. Uh, working with tech companies. I mean, that's a new thing for us, working with tech companies to produce a, a, an online course that's you know, user-friendly, we're still developing that. And um, there was some slight delays to launching, naturally, because we were all working in front, you know, frontline jobs and really busy with that. So um, we did eventually launch our online course in September of 2022. Yeah, so that was at BSLM, so that was a really proud moment for us. We were sponsoring the uh, British Society of Lifestyle Medicine um, annual conference, uh, and we were so delighted with the positive yeah. reception we received. And so, so many practitioners, you know, came to speak to us to say that you know they really loved what we were doing and were so excited to engage with the course. So that was a, a you know major, major, major milestone for us to actually finally launch that course and keep the medical student training going and growing our team. So. You know, we've, Elaine Elaine's been a powerhouse. We've got we've got other dietitians who are now um, running the teaching programs in in the country. Other chefs who are now involved with delivering the teaching. And um, we we're just having a meeting the other week about what's going to happen in the in the next academic year. Nice for me, I'm going to be able to teach my old alma mater at UCL, so I'm excited about that. And um, you know, we've got you know more exciting events and um, CPD opportunities as well. So. Um, can, we can talk. There's, there's lots. There's lots going on. It's very exciting. So we're still here. We're growing.
0: Elaine, why, why don't you give some insight into what people could find on the online course? Because you were obviously involved in reviewing and and actually gathering together the, this group of experts. And you know, there's too many online modules to go through every single one, but maybe some of the key ones that anyone listening to this who is a medical practitioner or perhaps even a nurse w- w- would want to engage with.
2: Yeah, sure. So um, it's uh, specific to different medical conditions, type two diabetes. Uh, weight and health paediatric module Um, we do one module on health professionals own personal nutrition Um, uh, but we also uh, focus on food sustainability and thinking about the environmental impact of food as well as we have a module on food and nutrition insecurity Uh, one on motivational interviews we have a whole module dedicated to how, how to have a conversation around food And we have a whole module dedicated on uh, how to discuss culinary skills within our healthcare setting. And lots of videos. So, Vinny's put together some videos, recipe videos. So, they, uh, simple things like how to cook uh, vegetables or use up leftover vegetables, uh, knife skills, things that are very, very practical. That can help people with confidence in the kitchen at the same time as as learning some of the technical nutritional science.
1: And the other thing that was a add is that we do also offer hybrid learning. So, to if there are online subscribers who wish to come and cook with chef, we do offer that as well. So, Minnie's been running these cook and learn sessions as well at Westminster Kingsway for yeah, online and we, subscribers.
3: And it's not just me as well. So, we have a dietitian then comes in for the last thirty minutes. And via Teams, but the way the kitchen's set up and all now we've got a really cool um, center for culinary medicine now here at the college and uh, you get to use the all the kitchen and great equipment there. We do a bit of cooking, we talk a little bit about a few sustainability issues. And then we get the dietitian to come on and just talk about, you know, the course and any questions might have about the course and stuff like that, which is quite good. So yeah, it's it's there's a lot of added value for for, for subscribers.
0: I think one of the things with nutrition is that when you dive into this world, you have a lot of quite ingrained beliefs, even amongst the community of of medics who, you know, on a self-assessment feel very rational and you know analytical, but actually when it comes to it, you know that they are quite. Um, they have put their stake in the ground with a particular dogma within nutrition, and um, you know specifically we can talk about low carbers or paleo first versus plant based or uh, vegan, and you know there's a whole milieu of reasons as to why people find those camps. How and this is a difficult topic um, because we're trying to like you know see both sides, and, and this is what I try and do on, on this podcast as well. But I imagine this has been a challenge, uh, particularly when it comes to, you know, presenting the evidence base and actually creating a, an online course that caters for uh, both sides and, and, you know, takes a, a balanced view. What What's your experience of that been, um, Elaine, uh, in, in this particular world?
2: Yeah, that's really, yeah, uh, it, it's something that comes up. Uh, time and time again so, so there's evidence in both camps <laughs> you know like we are as humans are uh, very adaptable species so so we've survived and thrived on many different diets all over the world if you look at the blue zones the Okinawa diet is very different to a diet in um, Costa Rica like, for example so, so I think that, that that we've tried to cut through the noise uh, by presenting in in your know, short bullet points, some of the main points from each dietary uh, intervention, but actually looking at the common ground in the middle and there, there's, that, there's so much common ground for it. So if you're looking at plant-based vegan diets compared to Low carb diets, the common ground there is is that they're still both very rich in vegetables they're still the, the ones that are beneficial anyway um you know it, a real focus on less processed foods and uh, so so we we can and, and I think it's important and I would love to have a, a colony medicine session low carb and vegan and just get everybody together knock their heads together and just go right okay well you you know let's have a discussion about this because there's no it's so nuanced there's, there's no right or wrong and we have to respect that our opinion on nutrition may be completely different to patients in front of us so we're the least important person here really it depends on what people choose to do with their own diets and then we can support people through their own choices rather than trying to impose our choices which either you're going to love as a patient and that's fine you might join that way of thinking or you're going to be completely put off nutrition and never want to engage in that discussion again if we go too militant on this so uh we do need to discuss this. I don't think that discussions are as bad as they seem on social media. So, social media algorithms really polarise the argument. But this isn't how things are getting played out in real life. You know, real the real world is different from Twitter. Thankfully, I oh. hope. <laughs> and Elaine,
1: I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's. I think this is what sets culinary medicine apart from perhaps other education providers because, I mean, I was a member of BSLM being asked, oh, is this a course for vegans? And I was like, no, Mm -hmm. absolutely not. So our course is very much about really looking at the evidence and focusing on actually how would you deliver this to a patient. I always say the example is if I'm seeing my, my patient who's working nights and days, he's a firm meat eater and he barely has half an hour in the day to prepare food, he's not going he may not he's unlikely to be changing his entire diet to become a vegan for example so i think it's really about looking at the individual in front of you respecting their choices their lifestyles their time their budget their culture yeah. there are so many factors so i'll always say no complementary medicine is about really looking at your individual patient and their factors and seeing what's right for them and we're helping the practitioner to actually, look at what evidence is there. In fact, we you know we'll have slides saying this is what we do know, this is what we don't know, and these are the studies. And it really spells out, and that has been super helpful to me because um, some some things I wasn't entirely sure about. At least by doing the course, it's really helping to demystify areas, and again, it's taking away that polarity um, and sort of f- forcing your own individual beliefs. And, and that's the ethos of healthcare. It's really about where's where's the evidence? What can we say with confidence? What 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 does my patient need? I that's really at the heart of it. So I'm very much um, keen for that that ethos to be very clear for calorie medicine that we aren't ascribing to a particular diet. We're just looking at what's the right diet and nutrition advice for your patient who's in front of you. I think that's really key.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think actually providing a, a safe space to have those spirited debates is something that maybe Coloring Medicine could do in future events. Actually, I think that would pull in a lot of people. You know, you have someone who perhaps is of a low-carb persuasion uh, and someone who is, you know, more plant-based, uh, whole grain focused and just, you know, sort of present both sides of it and actually allowing people to come to their own conclusions about how they might put both of those camps into practice with with people like you know assuming that example i think is is really pertinent and it's some uh, that that kind of archetypal uh, archetypal patient is is uh, someone that a lot of medics listening to this podcast have probably come across as well that's the
1: reality and i think we 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 really want to keep it realistic um and as as elaine said i think social media is a really small area of what you see can be quite skewed and if you're on the front line if you're dealing with patients the community you, anyone who's listening will understand where, where the angle that we're coming from. It's really got to be accessible and realistic to the patient in front of you in their lives.
2: Yeah, and that's why as long as we can keep culinary medicine uh, case-based, focused on patients, not ideal ideology, um, so yeah, keeping it, it's, it's not about what is the absolute perfect diet, it's about you know how can we apply some of these principles to to, to improve people's lives
3: yeah if I if I get asked one more time what oil do I use to fry in? I'm going to
0: (laughs) (laughs) what oil do you fry fry in in? (laughs) (laughs) we're not deep frying it's okay
3: we're just pan frying fish it's
2: going to be okay (laughs) (laughs) that's not fair what we do
1: uh, <laughs> you have to cut that out you have
0: to cut that out <laughs> well we've got um uh the summer school coming up uh which is going to yes. be in july so if people are listening to this after july unfortunately it's 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 past. but we've got a summer school so t- what what simile why don't you tell us a bit about that two-day um uh workshop
1: Yeah, so we're we're super excited. So as I said, I couldn't have imagined five years ago that we'd be sitting here talking to you about collaborating with, you know, international leading experts in their fields and having such a, you know, like an exciting union like this. So we um, held a one day introduction to nutritional psychiatry in October at Westminster Kingsway. And we were hosting the Food and Mood Centre from Australia, led by Professor Professor Feliz Yaka, who you know well. She's been a guest on your podcast as well. Absolutely brilliant um, researcher, speaker, and um, her team, including um, Tatiana Rocks, who's uh, got a dietetics background as well. And um, Chef Vinny and his team were um, providing the culinary medicine uh, demonstrations to tie it all together so we we tried it just as a concept because we really wanted to widen the reach and there's so much interesting research going on in the area of um, nutritional psychiatry and um, we're putting ourselves at the forefront there by collaborating with the the best people because again this area there's a a lot of misinformation out there and we want to make sure that health practitioners who come to our course can feel feel confident that they're learning from the experts they're the only organization in the world who's doing this kind of research over several years. So we're confident with what they're delivering. And we really just want to partner with organizations who have a similar ethos to ours and want to help with elevating that conversation, helping patients with mental health conditions and also tackling behavior change. So we tried, we, we held that in in October, went really well. We gathered feedback. There was a, you know, appetite for a more detailed course. And then the summer school was born so we've been busy working away at that for the last few months. Uh, really excited to host them for two days. That's on the 7th and 8th of uh, July. And they'll be pre-reading online material that you can access. You'll come along into our uh, our venue. You'll be learning from Professor Felice Jacker and her team about the latest in nutraceuticals, learning about prebiotics, probiotics, all the questions you may have about what, what can we help our patient with their uh, mood disorders? What don't we know? So you will learn uh, a lot. It's over, it's over 15 hours and of CPD. And you'll, and you'll, you'll get to cook. put it
3: into a bit of practice as
1: well. Yes, so, and you'll get to cook with yeah. Chef Eddie himself um, in our
2: and
1: newly refurbished areas. kitchen. So, yeah, we're excited. There'll be case-based discussions. As Elaine said, that's central to what we're doing. So I'll be there helping to facilitate those case based discussions as well. And um, it's an opportunity to network and we, uh, we love food at Culinary Medicine. So you can be guaranteed to have a delicious food with us as well. So yeah, we can't wait for that.
0: It really does encompass everything. I think that culinary medicine is about, you know, these workshops. And I think rather than it just being an online course, which are which is great, you know, even you no know, even though we've got like wonderful videos and stuff, like when you actually get into a kitchen, you actually start chopping an onion and having a conversation with some culinary students and you know dietetics and all people from different specialties. Like that's where the magic is. That's where like you really get like rich conversations and. You connect over something that's deeply human. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it. And, you know, I, I, I'm obviously very biased because when we sat down years ago and I was sort of painting this vision for what coloring medicine could be, I really wanted it to be the sort of nutritional medicine platform for for medics and all professionals in the future. I had my own sort of idea about what coloring medicine should evolve into um, I've always wanted to capitalize on this idea of community kitchens being affiliated with every GP surgery in the country. you know I think even if there isn't one bespoke built kitchen in the surgery itself, there should be an affiliation with a local cookery school um, where you have health communicators and you know people who can improve the culinary confidence um, of of their, their local population. but then also having culinary medicine, as compulsory in all medical schools now we've 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 done one out of 30 odd medical schools in the UK um, but we've still got a long way to go when you think about culinary medicine over the next five years let's say you know, what what are the kind of goals that you want to achieve? And I know we've had loads of conversations about this off the podcast, and everyone's trying to say, you know, you you need to get real, you need to, this isn't going (laughs) to (laughs) happen on this kind of timescale. But I, I still believe, I still really want this to happen. But perhaps uh, Elena I'll, I'll put it to you first like w- when you think about culinary medicine in the future forgetting all the sort of short-term barriers that we might have today like where where would you want it to get to
2: yeah I just think we just need to keep widening out our network so work with more medical schools give more opportunities for people to get into the kitchen I 100% agree with you Rupi that getting people in face-to-face to to have these discussions is so important. And uh, I think that we've all learned through the pandemic, the importance of community and the importance of food within that. So uh, absolutely expanding our work to work with perhaps the public and working within community kitchens, supporting what's already out there um, and joining the dots between health professionals. So just, Bigger, more, and more people involved.
1: So, calling medicine in the next five years. So, I want us to cement what we're already doing, um, growing the medical student population and their education. Um, it's taken a longer time than any of us had thought five years ago. However, there is a there is a there is a change coming. I think you only have to go to sort of conferences. You go to the BSLM, you'll see people are really passionate about prevention and nutrition and we have done excellent work in culinary medicine. I think that can continue. Um, I am particularly excited for us to continue with our partnerships and collaborations because we recognize there are lots of different strong organizations. We can work together with them. Um, Just this recent summer school, being able to work with the leading researchers really helps to deliver the message that we're we're aiming for. So continuing partnerships and collaboration. And naturally, every time we're doing events, we get a lot of inquiries from members of the public saying, oh, I wanted to join the summer school, but I notice it's only for health professionals. So I believe there's a lot of work and potential for us to develop our public awareness and engagement, working with the right outlets to be sending the correct messages to disseminate evidence-based information. So it's really making sure that we are joining the dots and putting out the right information to to sync with health professional education and public awareness. I I think that would be um, ideal for us. And I think given how we've established ourselves, I feel Coloury Medicine UK are ideally suited to be able to deliver on that. So it's a question really of time, organisation, and really getting the support and investment from key organisations. So hopefully in the next 12 months, we we will be able to make some changes towards that as well.
3: Yeah, I would basically echo that really I suppose public awareness and I, I guess with my chef's hat on, um no pun intended. Um we would uh we would keep you know trying to raise awareness in our industry, the industry. And you gotta remember that's quite a wide scope. That's also you're catering in the NHS hospitals, which you have a lot of experience with Ruby as well. And then the schools as well, chefs and schools is that another program that work in handway as well. You've got, you know, there's just there's actually quite a lot of so a lot of people you can influence there, I suppose, mm-hmm. uh, and to get that public message out there. So there's um, I think there's a lot of a lot of work we can still do around mm-hmm. all of that. Yeah, definitely. That's what I hope to see. Is, uh,
0: absolutely. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, my my uh, opinion is that there's just so much potential with current Besen and and the work that thus thus far has been completed and what it requires is like ruthless focus to achieve those goals. And I think, you know, having a clear focus on um, the medical education side or the workshop side, the industry side, like choosing just one of those as the team is so small and nimble, like that's probably going to be the secret source to success. And then once you've succeeded in that particular area, then moving wider and casting the net wider Um, But I think, you know, because we're such an excited, excitable organization that's nimble and like, you know, passionate about this, it's quite easy to do multiple different things at once and just say yes to a lot of things, whereas actually we need like relentless focus. And that's something that, you know, has been my experience in my my own sort of professional life as well. Um, But yeah, like just thinking back about like how much we we have achieved uh, is awesome. And it's, you know, because of, the passion within this organization so but it's been brilliant chatting about it and reminiscing on on uh, how it all started and i'm super excited about the next couple of years and we should definitely jump on the pod again uh to to sort of fill in people with how they can potentially get involved as well and if there are any opportunities in that domain
1: absolutely and we're 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 a small and mighty team and we are we have grown our team and we're looking to get grow our team further so we would love to come back and give an update on current medicine and what, what we what we've been getting up to because there's lots of exciting developments coming so yeah thank you so much for having us, Ruby.
0: thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the doctor's kitchen podcast remember if you're interested and are a health professional who uh, wants to learn more about nutritional psychiatry the link for that two-day workshop event is in the link in the podcast copy and remember you can sign up for the eat listen read newsletter which and every week i send you a recipe something to listen to something to read that will help you have a healthier happier week i will see you here next time